0: Good morning. How are you? That is a a great intro, even though I'm not preaching on discipleship now. uh, We are in the Apostles' Creed, but that, I mean, even the text in that, I didn't even realize that's my text today. First Peter 2 is in there. Um, But it's great because we're going to talk about the church this morning. And uh, if there's anything the church should be about is discipleship. Uh, that, and we'll touch on that a little bit more at the end of the message, but that's, that's what God's called us to, and it's for every generation. One of the things I was saying to the, the staff this week, and meeting with Mark for, for some while, as we talked about discipleship, is I just love in Scripture that God d- never says, like, okay, when you reach this age, start. Or after you've been walking this long with me and following me for this amount of time, then go and make and go and do and, and all of this. He never does that. You notice that? It's just a simple go make it happen. And uh, and I love that. So you'll get more details on discipleship now coming up um, over the next few weeks. If you want to talk to Pastor Matt uh, after the service about it, I'm sure he'd love to to hear from you. You prefer Matthew or Matt? I realize I always call you Matt. So you're you're smooth, you're chill, it don't matter. Uh, I love you, Matt. His, his heart has just been um, incredible. I love seeing him grow over the last year. Uh, It's been been a pleasure having a front row seat in your life, my friend, so appreciate tremendously. So uh, Pastor Mark, our regular teaching pastor, the main cheese, is out of town. Uh, They had to drop off Grayson at the Citadel, and uh, Grayson is in it. He is in it, he is in Hell Week, and life is going for him, and it will never be the same. Life is forever different. I saw a photo today, Bradley showed me a, a picture of him. Uh, getting ready to go out, and you could see the fear in his face. And uh, he wasn't that long-haired, confident, rocker up here on stage in that moment. He was almost like, dear Lord, what have I done? And uh, so pray for them. Also, Mark had a really severe cold going into the weekend, and that affected his ability. He didn't want to get too close to Grayson because he didn't want to give him that, obviously. But uh, that, that affected his heart a lot as a dad, too. So keep them in prayer. Uh, big adjustment for them. And we look forward to them being back. So that being said, last week, Mark, we've been going through the creed, and and he did just a beautiful job, as he always does, uh, speaking and teaching. And and he taught us on the phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you haven't been here, I would encourage you to go online. We're in part 10 this week of the creed. We're working our way down through it. Uh, But I would go and catch up because each element of this creed is absolutely essential to the foundations of our faith. And Mark did just a tremendous job of teaching on the Holy spirit You know, said uh, last week that a lot of times the church's approach to the Holy Spirit can kind of be like that weird, crazy uncle nobody wants to talk about because we don't really fully understand it and it can be weird and, you know, all these things sometimes. But I just thought he did a great job. He talked about how uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work of adoption into the body of Christ. And as such, we have an identity that establishes who we are. There's a change that takes place. And when you're adopted, when you're changed, uh, you begin to take on the family traits of that family. And ultimately, that stirs up adoration. It should motivate us uh, through love towards obedience. And as I was thinking through the message, you know, we all filter what we hear through our own experiences and our own life journeys and things. Uh, our family, as some of you are aware, I've talked about a little bit before, but we're on foster care journey. We've been doing that with all of our other children for um, I don't know about two months three months something like that now and each of these elements I'm like man that hits the mark like when we bring that child into our home they get a new identity they're no longer unwanted they're no longer broken they're no longer homeless Uh, they come into a family that they can belong and they take on the identity of the Watsons Uh, and while they're there they begin to pick up our family traits it's so neat to see these little kids that have never been around church before begin to sing hymns and uh, chase one another and t- argue over who gets to pray before the meal and uh, they were playing tag the other day doing this loop around our dining room and kitchen and living room and they just run full speed by God's grace they haven't hit a table yet and we're not in trouble but um, our younger boy Declan he's seven he he was running really fast he was so cute he, he's screaming singing as he's chasing the kids to play tag what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus and here's a seven-year-old that probably does not even comprehend the work of the blood of Jesus, right? Uh, but just seeing it. And so, but when we, when we get adopted, when we go into a family, and you know this is true, when you enter a new circle of friends, whatever, you begin to take on those traits. There's things, you begin to talk different, you begin to act different, you begin to look different, you feel different. Things are changing. And the more you're embraced, the more you feel loved, the more you feel accepted, that motivates your actions, That affects your actions, and that's essentially what Mark preached about last week, and the reason I found it so beautiful, it's the perfect setup for the church, for what we're talking about this week, Uh, because if that doesn't happen, if the work of the Spirit doesn't do those things, then the next phase, what we should be about as the church and what the church is supposed to consist of is moot. It's just a bunch of people getting together, having a club, and that's no good. So we're going to get into it, and we're going to read the creed, and I I just want to kind of Set it up for you as Mark has, as consistently done. In that, this in no way uh, changes your identity or relationship with Christ. Uh, we're certainly not trying to make someone uncomfortable. We always encourage people to stand and recite it with us. There's a lot of value in some of the older, traditionals, uh, traditional things of the church, the liturgies, and the Book of Common Prayer, and just different things that can really have depth and meaning and value. Some of the hymns. I love how our worship team is incorporating some of those and. It's just beautiful, beautiful, rich, rich theology, and the creed is certainly that for us. We don't believe that it in any way enhances our walk with Christ. We just want to kind of recite it and get familiar with it again, because it's one of those things that's kind of out of sight, out of mind for the modern church today. So today, right before we read it, I I just want to preface for you, Mark gave me the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and left town, and so good luck with that. So... Uh, and even explaining it to some some friends and family, what that actually means last week, it still went over their heads a little bit, just because it was. You hear that word Catholic, and that can give people ah pause. Uh, let, can I just say something about it before we get started this morning? Uh, I realize we have people here from every walk of life and denomination and background, and we're not here to talk about the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, today in that sense. Uh, I'm not here to bash them. I have some very dear friends that are believers that are part of the, the Roman Catholic Church that I've known for years. Some of the most godliest people I know, and we're not here to do that or condemn that. What we mean and what was meant by this phrase, and I just want to explain it to you real quick. In that word "Catholic," it simply means universal. It means worldwide. It means the church as a whole throughout the world. And and I'm going to get into this in my notes in just a minute, but you do understand that Hope Fellowship is not the only expression of faith in the world that Christ has, right? You get that. And so, what what the what the early fathers of our faith what they meant by that was saying we believe in the worldwide church and the communion of saints. And we'll we'll break that down a little bit for you. So I'm going to ask if you're comfortable, go ahead and stand. It'll be on the screen. It'll also be in your bulletins. This is how I read. Now, I haven't been Mark reading it for every week, so I read a little bit different. Uh, I go comma to comma to semicolon. So if you get ahead or you get off or whatever, just jump back in the water. It's fine. No big deal. But don't, don't be chopping it up on me and throwing my rhythm off, okay? So let's read it together. What a great declaration. You ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a declaration. What a declaration. So beautiful. So beautiful. So there's essentially two things we're looking at this morning in our phrase, the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints. The first is, We are affirming, we are declaring, we as the leadership here at Hope are saying we believe that the church is bigger than just Hope Fellowship. That's point number one. You're almost out of here already. Isn't that great? We believe it's bigger than that. And what we mean when we say that word church, we're going to get into that in a minute, but it's a group of followers of Jesus Christ specifically. It's bigger than hope. It's bigger than the church I grew up in, Man of Baptist Church in Alaska. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than New Spring here in town. I know we're not supposed to mention names, but I mentioned names. It's it's bigger than it's bigger than the tabernacle in New York City. It's it's bigger than it's it's inclusive around the world. There are groups this this morning throughout our country meeting, and they're a part of the church. There are groups that met last night and that will meet later tonight on different time zones in Africa and in Europe and in Russia and China and all over the world. There There are small gatherings in houses and in basements by candlelight. In North Korea, I believe there are followers of Christ there. There are people throughout this world that make up the church of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? And so... Point number one is we are affirming that the church is bigger than just Hope Fellowship. The second thing we're affirming is that there is a commonality. There is a a communion, a close association. There are things that unite us between us as followers of Jesus Christ, both right now in this moment, in ages past, way back in the good old days with John Calvin and Martin Luther and John Huss, you know, all the old... uh, ministers and theologians and fathers and the Susie Q's and the John Smith's and those that lived way before us, they have that same commonality that we have because we're united around the same things, as will my children's children's children beyond me, if, if Christ does not return before then. So what we're saying is the church is bigger than us, and then secondly, there are things that we all have in common. There are, there are things that we should have in common that unite us. So I want to read our text. We're going to be in First Peter 2. I'm going to read verse 1 through 11 for you. A little bit lengthy, but again, I I want us to get the full weight of what Peter is teaching here. Peter is writing to the church. I just love the New Testament. It is so, so rich. There's so much beauty and and volume and depth and and even simplicity. You don't have to be a scholar to understand these kind of things. Peter starts in verse number 1 of chapter 2. Put away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Right, You don't have to be a theologian to understand that. Get rid of that stuff out of your life. You shouldn't have that. He says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house destined to do i'm going to pause right there for a second we'll keep, keep going here in a minute but this is essentially what peter's saying look the world has rejected you because you don't fit in with the world but christ has accepted you because you belong to him and as such you are you are a living stone it's like you're a, a living brick and jesus christ is the cornerstone the foundation of the church he's the foundation of everything that the house will be built upon and we are all bricks going off of that cornerstone, building this amazing structure called the church. Do you you catch that picture of what Peter's trying to say? And he says, for those that reject Christ, for those that reject faith, reject the change and the transformation that the Spirit has brought in you, they're also going to reject the cornerstone. They'll look at it and be offended by that because of the difference in your life. And look at what Christ says next. These are the main verses I want to focus on. Look at verse 9, what he says about you as a follower of him. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a beautiful picture God gives us of how he sees you. I love what the band led us in this morning. I am all that he says I am. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ declares you to be royal. You are are not worthless. You don't have to do something to up your value in life for the world or for people to look at you and say, Wow, that person's pretty incredible. That person is special. Jesus Christ looks at you and says, You are the most specialist thing that exists on this planet you are a priesthood, you are distinct, you are unique, you are holy, you are royal, you are my own possession. He has such tremendous value that he places on you and me as the body of Christ. So let's start with the first question. So what is the church? We've got to kind of address this because our, our phrase that we're looking at today is, you know, I believe in the holy Catholic church. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, I think it's important we understand that the church in and of itself, just that word, is is simply this. It's people. The church is people. There are all kinds of churches in the world today. There's even a church of Satan. okay? There there are churches that gather everywhere. The church is simply a, a gathering of a group of people. And so when we talk about it, as I said earlier, we're referring specifically to those that profess faith in jesus christ those that would say i am a follower of jesus that is the church i belong to and there's a lot of people today that gather under buildings just like this one that have platforms and music and they'll open uh, a bible up and they'll talk about all kinds of things out of this book but they may not be followers of christ so i want to be very clear when we talk about the church we're talking about those that come together and say yes I am in agreement. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Well, I'm going to give you some some truth that I'm sure you've probably heard before if you've been around the church, but I want to lay this down because this is solid doctrine that we're talking about here. The church is made up of those that have been saved, those that have been redeemed, those that have been transformed by the true and living God, and it's based solely on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His work, upon the cross it has nothing to do about my effort it has nothing to do about me getting stuff together and finally coming down here and kneeling and praying to him. it has nothing to do with me doing a lot of good things throughout the week it has nothing to do with how i love my wife my children how hard i work my my relationship as a follower of jesus christ is based solely on the work that christ did on the cross The inclusion in this body of Christ is not by membership. It's not by attending Hope or any other church. It's not by denomination. It's not by baptism. It's not by dedication. It's not received by rituals such as reciting the creed or partaking in communion. It's not by a ceremony, and it is certainly not by natural birth. You cannot be born into this family. Being a part of the family of God, being a part of the church of Jesus Christ, being a part of the kingdom of God, is obtained solely by falling before the cross and saying, I put all my hope, all my faith, all my confidence in you alone, Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans and Ephesians, it's by faith alone. See, being a member here at Hope, coming to Hope here every week, if you haven't realized it yet and you're putting all your confidence and hope in, well, I attend there, so hopefully my life will get better. If that's what you're counting on, you're going to have nothing in this life. Coming here will not make your life better. Do you get that? Going to a church is not going to all of a sudden fix your relationship problems. It might help a little bit. It might give you that little Band-Aid on a bullet wound. But ultimately, your heart issue is what the problem is. It's what my problem is. And the only way that gets resolved is by coming to Christ, not to a building. Christian church... Does not include Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and New Agers and Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and spiritualists. He said, "Whoa, you're saying th- you're saying names. I know I'm saying names, but I want to draw a very clear distinction here. And I don't say that to be harsh or mean, but I want you to understand we don't apologize for saying that salvation comes through Christ and faith in Him alone. Period. Plus nothing. Minus nothing." In any other group, any other organization, I don't care if they call themselves Christian, non-denominational, spiritualist, enlightened, I don't care what they call themselves. Anybody that says, well, there are other ways, I'm sorry, that's error and that's false. And that's a false God and that's false teaching and that will lead you straight to judgment apart from Christ. Paul would say in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, the church is the totality of all people that believe that, regardless of denomination, again, regardless of building anything. It's the entire body. And so, therefore, with confidence, with confidence, I can stand before you today and say, I affirm I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I absolutely do. I believe that people in in other parts of the world that believe what I believe, we are brothers and sisters in Christ And we are united. Some of my greatest relationships over the years, uh, doing ministry, especially at uh, William & Mary University up in uh, Virginia near Williamsburg, Richmond area. Uh, The the great thing about William & Mary is that it attracts people from literally all over the world. And we had about two or 300. It's kind of very similar to Hope. We had about two or 300 college kids that came to church. Some of my greatest relationships there were with Korean kids. You talk about passion. I mean, these kids up at 4 o'clock in the morning to read and have worship and come together and unite because that's what their culture does. And then they stay up late at night exploring the scriptures and everything. And I thought, here are these kids. Some of them didn't even speak English. Their friends were helping translate and stuff. And we'd get together and celebrate and worship. And I just thought, wow. I want to be a part of something bigger than this. You realize when we get to heaven, what's going to make heaven so beautiful is it's not just going to be filled with a bunch of white folks or a bunch of African-Americans or a bunch of Chinese or a bunch of Indians or on and on we could go. It's going to be filled with everybody. You know God is creative, right? He don't just make one flavor. It is going to be beautiful up there. It It is going to be people of every walk, of every tribe, of every tongue coming together of every color i don't know what shapes are going to be like but hopefully every shape because i i don't have what i'd like to have so right we're we're all gonna and it's going to be a throng a mosaic of people that have said we believe in jesus christ we confess him as lord and savior and we're going to worship him as one do you know how beautiful that's going to be there won't be a need for any more movements Can I say that? (laughs) There won't be a need to check the headlines to make sure we're going to be okay for the day. There won't be a need to check the weather. There's going to be one focus, and it's going to be on Jesus Christ. And it's going to be absolutely beautiful. So we absolutely affirm the church. And so I have to move into the second part. So why does this matter? We've got to please sink into this for a moment with me. And I've given you some questions in your notes. What's God's expectation for me is at the bottom of your notes. I ask this question, why does this matter? I'm going to give you some thoughts, but I really hope you write your own thoughts and your own questions down. Because this is about you. This is about how God sees you and how God wants to interact with you. So why does that matter? Well, it matters because the church, as we have defined it this morning, was purchased by God. God owns this group, this gathering, this worldwide collective group of people that say, I will follow him, they belong to God. Acts twenty twenty eight tells us this. Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church which he purchased with his own blood. I wanted to, to include this verse because I think it is so excruciating, important to understand the measure of God's purchase. And Mark has taught about this. He's taught about the crucifixion recently, and I'm not, I'm not trying to reteach all that. But we under, need to understand something. The church is not just God's plan for now and the future and the past and everything, and, and he's hoping someday he'll, he'll get it all straightened out and it'll work. And the church is the most important thing on planet Earth to God. Do you understand that? It mattered so much to him that he was willing to let his only begotten son be murdered, be brutally butchered, so that you could be a part of it. He didn't just go out and purchase it with the blood of sheep and goats and animals. He said, I am willing to give spotless, innocent, perfect, matchless blood to redeem every single one of us. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what color you are, what size you are, what background experience you are. You matter so much to God that He was willing to die for you. I wouldn't slap my kid for you, but God would kill His Son for you. Isaiah 53, you should ponder it sometime. Beautiful de- depiction of what Christ was willing to go through, being led as a lamb to the slaughter. But one of the most haunting verses in that passage is where Jesus tells us through the prophet that it gave God pleasure to sacrifice his son for you. He got delight out of that. That's heavy. That should give us pause in how we talk about the church today in the world. That's God's girl you're talking about. He refers to us as his bride. That's the woman he's going to spend eternity with, and that should give us all pause when it comes to condemning how jacked up the church can be. I've been a part of that jacked up mess, so I'm at fault for it, and I've been hurt by the church numerous times, both in the pastoral ministry and out of it, as I'm sure a lot of you have. But just because the bride hurts us doesn't give us a right to talk about what God gave his life for in such a negative way. I'm a little guy, as I've pointed out many times, so I probably wouldn't be able to do much damage to much of you. But you come at my wife, I will claw your eyeballs out. I will fight dirty, I will kick you to get you down on my level. I will do what I got to do. I'll pick a rock up when you're not looking and bean you. That is my woman. And I will not tolerate you talking bad about her. I will defend her with my life. She means everything to me. Outside of my relationship with Christ, she is the most important thing he has ever given me in this world. And if she means that much to me as a mere human being, how much more that God would Die to get us. Should that give us pause when it comes to criticizing the church? It's broken my heart so many times over the years here. I want nothing to do with church anymore. Church is just greedy people, mean people, liars, hypocrites. That's God's bride you're talking about. should give us pause. If we could only, if we could only grasp... And fully understand the power that we have as the church, as followers of Christ. The knowledge of what we really could be and what we really are intended to be would radically change. You know, Matthew 16, Jesus talking to Peter and the disciples, he teaches them that this is my church. And when I build the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I wish I had time to really theologically get into all that this morning. But gates in Scripture and antiquity, if you look at it, gates was uh, a symbol of uh, authority, of power. It's where you went to have city officials make rulings and judgments and decide right and wrong and fate and the outcome of individuals. And so what Christ is really getting into here, and again, I don't have time to really unpack it, but what he's getting into here is the very place that is determining your position in life, the, the world that comes at you, with authority, death that comes at you, that wants to judge you and rule you and reign over you and wants to depict your outcome. It will not prevail against me. I am superior to that. That is what God is teaching. He says, we as the church, belonging to one another and to him ultimately, have greater power than the power of hell and the world and death. Do you realize that? Yet so often we live as if what? Hell's winning, as if those gates have more authority and power. And we lose sight of what Christ tells us. And we're known more for the failures and the hypocrisy. And as I said, I've, I've been a part of that, so I get it. But look at John 17, Jesus' prayer the night before he's killed on our behalf. In 1720, he says, I do not ask, talking to his Father in heaven, I do not ask for these only, these disciples. But I also, for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Matthew five fourteen through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He goes on in verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christ's desire is for us to be one. Christ's desire is for the church to come together and realize who we are and who we are intended to be. His desire is for us to stand tall and to be brave and to be bold and to have courage and to be a light that pushes back against the darkness. Not a church that cowers back into it and tries to become like the world, tries to absorb itself into the darkness, tries to camouflage and blend in and say, well, I'm no, not really that much different than everyone else around me. Christ wants you to be different. He desires you to be different. You are his bride. He wants you to stand out. He wants to display you before the world and say, that's my woman. He doesn't want us to cower back and and miss out on how he sees us. Hence 1 Peter 2, you're royal, you're my possession, you're distinct, you're holy, you're unique. Why does it matter? It matters because when we appreciate what the church truly is, we see not only the value Christ has placed upon it, but we see the power that leads to transformation in lives. There's been nothing, I'm 43, I'm going to be 44 here in September, so I realize I don't have a lot of aged, aged wisdom, but I've lived long enough and been around the church long enough to to be able to honestly tell you there's nothing more powerful to me than when I see someone walking passionately, sold out with Christ, when I see those type of followers as opposed to those that don't and just say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but don't live it. And I've been in both camps, so I'm not judging I'm saying the contrast between what the church could be and what the church is can be so vast sometimes. And I think often, I mean, you cannot read the scriptures without Jesus constantly saying in there, Oh, I want to rescue you. I want to restore you. I want to elevate you to this great position. I want to put you back up on a pedestal. And he says it to Israel and he says it to us over and over and over again. So I'm going to conclude with this. I have four things there in the bottom of your notes. What are the attributes we have in common? I know you guys are like, wow, 950, we're almost out of here. We are, so hang on. What are the attributes? What are those things that we say, well, we believe in the communion of saints? What are the the commonalities? I I believe there's four that I want to give to you. And if, if I could use a different word for those things we should have in common in the communion of the saints, I would use the word discipleship. You're going to be hearing a lot more of this over the next few months. So if you don't like it, just keep coming back. You'll get used to it. Um, the communion of the saints, the things that we come together. You know what? Communion is Is a gathering of, of like interest around a table. Hence, when we do the Lord's Supper, when Jesus had his last meal, it was laying down together and saying, let's enjoy this together. Let's share in things together. So. There's four elements I think we see in Scripture. It's throughout Scripture, but I'm just going to give you four in in some various verses. The first one is doctrine. We should have a shared doctrine, a shared belief system. We've gone through so many already here in the Creed, but there should be things that unite us, things that we hold to that the Bible proclaims, that we say we're not going to apologize for this just because someone doesn't like it, it's not comfortable, it's against the law of the land, whatever else it might be. This is what we hold to be true. And we're not going to apologize for that. I love Galatians 6, 1 through 2. This is just bonus stuff. I don't have it on the screen, so forgive me, uh, technicians and everyone else. I'm I'm just throwing this out at you so you have some reference for what I'm talking about. But Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, if if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share or bear one another's burdens in this way and so fulfill the law of Christ. What Paul is teaching us here and what you'll see throughout Scripture is, it is your responsibility to judge one another. That's counter-church today, right? It is your responsibility to speak truth into each other's life. He says, lovingly, gently teach them and bring them back. Through what? Through Scripture. That is what we are to teach one another about, of all my tattoos, the, the last one I ever want to get on the planet that I pray I never get is only God can judge me. Why would you want that? One, I don't care what you think. God's going to judge me. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> you would rather have my judgment than his judgment. But secondly, uh, wrong. If you're in the church and you proclaim to be a brother or a sister in Christ and a follower of the same Jesus that I follow, I'm going to judge you. Guess what? I expect you to judge me back. I expect you to say, hey, you claim to follow Jesus like I do, and you're not loving your wife. You got up on stage and said she's the most important thing to you, but look how you're treating her. Or, you know, Mikey's showing up with a black eye. You're beating your kids. Of course, I couldn't do that. Mikey would plummet me. But, you know, <laughs> I expect to be challenged on that. Hey, you get up and teach and say this and everything else. Scripture says this. What's going on in your life? See, we look at that verse, bear you one another's burdens, and we're like, oh, that's about coming along. Let's just come along and help each other. Oh, you've got a burden, let me help you out. The context of that in verse one is bear each other's burdens as it relates to sin. No, oh, you know, that's I don't want to get anybody's personal business. You know, that's that's private. That's between them and God. No, it's between you, me, and God. That's God's plan. I know you don't like that, and I know that's not comfortable for a lot of people. Some of you might like it. But understand, that's God's plan. God's plan for addressing spiritual issues and sin in your life is each other and the Holy Spirit and Scripture. And we're quick to leave each other out. So when we talk about the church, the value of it, the weight of it, the beauty of it is to come together to help each other spiritually grow. So we got doctrine. The second thing is serving. We exist for each other's benefit. Paul would say in the previous chapter in 5.13 of Galatians, Use your freedom to serve one another in love. I'm not saying when it's convenient, help each other out. I'm not saying when your calendar works out. I'm not saying when, well, it's an event you want to be at, so you'll go and serve and do that. He says, serve one another in love. Do you realize if we're functioning as we should be as a church, there shouldn't be any need that anyone has here in church that's not being met by other people. Right? If we say, hey, I need help with dot, 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 there should be 30 people from church. I got it. No, I got it. No, I got it first. That's God's intent. Not, oh, great. One person showed up. That's, that's going to be awesome. woo And we get discouraged by that. Why? Because that's not God's intent. That's why we get encouraged when the opposite happens, right? I am moving three folding chairs and 40 people show up. I just get to sit back and enjoy. I get to direct. This is wonderful. Serving one another. You will not read the New Testament without finding the early church and disciples constantly serving those in the community around them and serving each other. Imagine if when Jesus broke the the bread and the fishes and said, all right, guys, go distribute this. they are like, today's not a good day for me, Jesus. My back from that walk. I know there's 5,000, but just get Simon to do it. He can handle it. Right? We're supposed to serve one another. The third thing, agape love. That's a tough one. We love agape. We love the word, right? It's a beautiful word. To love somebody when they don't deserve it. How good are you at that? I suck at it. Can we be honest? I base my love a lot of times on whether or not I think you deserve it. And frequently, God uses the church in the form of my wife to remind me, you need to love them, even when you don't want to. There are times my kids, who I love you guys dearly, will drive me up a wall, and my wife will remind me gently, you need to love them. You need to love them. I don't want to go and do that. They annoy me so much. You need to love them. Not because they deserve it, not because they don't annoy you, not because, because God says love unconditionally, especially when they don't deserve it. That's what he modeled for us. He says in, in 5 6 of Galatians, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. What good is faith that isn't expressed through love? It's shallow, it's empty. First John three, read that chapter this week. First John four, beloved. Let us love one another. If love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, how can you love God but not love each other and love mankind? It's impossible. And then the fourth element, the sending out phase. So every aspect of discipleship of us as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, should contain teaching, doctrine, scripture. It should contain serving Unconditionally, It should contain agape love, but then we should repeat that model over and over again. We should be constantly helping other people learn, adapt that model, and live it out. We should be sending each other out into the world, into the community, into our neighborhoods, into the body of Christ, into Anderson, all over the place, living this out. Jesus said again in Matthew 28, Go and make, and as you go and make, teach them. Lead them, baptize them, show them, help them grow in their faith, and then help them live this out. Jesus' model is disciples making disciples, making disciples, not pastors leading people in scripture, getting saved, and then having them sit in the pew while the pastor looks for more people. So I'm going to leave you with the question what is God's expectation for you here at Hope? What does God want for you as part of this expression of the body of Christ? I want to give you a very hard statement. And I don't say it to be mean. I, I say it because I believe it is truth. God's expectation for us is to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. And if we are not being discipled and are not making disciples, we're not following Jesus. That's harsh. But that's Scripture. You won't find any other model or pattern in Scripture with Christ. He made disciples to make disciples to make disciples. That's what changed the world. That's why we're here 2,000 years later talking about a creed and talking about doctrine and talking about the words of Christ. Because he did that with 12, which ultimately ended up being 11. And 11 wacky, goofy dudes With scores of women and children and everybody else kind of in the throng around them, went out and changed the world because they believed they could be the light. Do you believe that? Oh, I wish I could convey what is possible. What is possible if we would realize we could be the light of the world? You don't have to do anything grand. You understand that you don't have to start a church and get five thousand people attending. You don't have to organize a nonprofit ministry. You don't you don't have to do amazing, bold, huge things to change the world. You have to love Jesus, love each other, and proclaim that before the world. Back back to the text I gave you in First Peter two. Just let me let me let me end with this, and then I'll pray. I, I promise. He says at the very end there that I read to you in verse 11, after telling us about how valuable we are to him, he said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In other words, this home isn't your world, so pay attention. I'm urging you, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among Gentiles. By that, he means those that aren't followers of Christ. Keep your conduct among them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. You know how you become a light to the world? You live it out. You push away from the world and say, I am not going to taint my heart, my flesh, my mind, my soul with things that will corrupt me. I'm going to be willing to be different for the sake of the gospel. And the way I'm going to be different is by loving radically and serving radically and teaching Scripture radically. Those three simple things will change the world. They did 2,000 years ago, and they'll do it again today. Do you believe that? What is God's desire for you? Let's pray. If you would, just bow your heads with me. I don't have an altar call or anything like that this morning. I just want to end in prayer. We're going to sing. If God stirred something in your heart and you want to speak to him, you can come down front. I'd be more than willing to pray for you. I know there's other people that would come up and pray over you and with you but I believe in the church. I believe it's holy. And I believe in the communion of each other. I believe it with all my heart. That's why I'm here this morning. Otherwise, I'd be home sleeping. I'd be home playing. I'd be home working. I'm here because I believe these things. Father, your word is so full of truth and clear instruction on what you want from us. You know we've spent weeks talking about things that don't really have weight as far as the the things we're we're supposed to go out and do, you know we can confess, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Father, I believe in the Spirit, we can confess these kind of things, but then when we start saying, I believe in the communion of saints and I believe in in this worldwide church. Well, then we have to take it a step further and say, well, if I truly believe that, then that requires action on my part. It's moved beyond the heart to now my hands and feet. And i got to do something with that. God, may your presence radically infiltrate the hearts of men and women here at Hope Fellowship that have boldly said, I am a follower of Christ, may it infiltrate us in such a way that the world has to sit up and take notice and give glory to you by saying, wow, that's different. I ask this for your glory, that your will would be done in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.